I take a more view. I, I am out of town this weekend. Speaking this weekend. at an event at another church, and I know we have super gifted uh, people who can preach and teach on our staff within the life of our church here in the city. But a few times a year, I like to invite in some of my friends from across the country for you to experience them and for them to experience you. This morning, my friend, Jovan Barrington, who is the lead minister at the Littleton Church of Christ in Denver, Colorado, is with us. And I have known Jovan for a number of years. I love his passion, his joy uh, for ministry, for preaching. You're going to love him. Uh, Jovan is a husband. He has three beautiful daughters. Uh, and is just a great proclaimer of the Word of God. The Littleton Church of Christ is also where Jim Hinkle's longtime mentor, Mike Myers, was on staff as a youth minister. It's also where our very own Caleb Hinkle will be interning this summer as a youth minister. So, Jovan, we're so excited to have you with us today. Uh, Sycamore View, I'll see you soon. And may the name of Jesus be lifted up through the preaching and through the worship today. Well, amen. Uh, thank you, Josh, for that. All the online listeners and everybody here. It is great to be here at Sycamore View. There's a lot of y'all here. So, I know if we could pass a little collection in that 901 offering to get Josh a better camera. Can we do that for him? I mean, dang, was he filming that on a flip phone? Come on, church, y'all need to help a brother out here at Sycamore View. I mean, come on now. I know they got cameras in Memphis, somebody. Come on. Y'all got more than just good barbecue. Come on. Can, can I get a hand clap of praise for a better camera this morning? Somebody. I, one of the things that connects us is uh, I just got the pleasure of meeting Jim Hinkle, and there's a connection between us and Littleton because his son, Caleb, is going to be our youth intern for the summer. So we're going to get to hang out with Jim, and I think that's an incredible testimony of faith, all right, that a former youth minister has raised up a another youth minister. Come on now. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, youth ministers travel all the time. They put up with a lot of stuff. He did it for many years, and now his kid wants to do it. I think that is amazing. I'll give Jim a pat on the back for that. That's awesome. And uh, I got to spend some time with Kip, and I was, I was moved in worship. Was anybody else just moved at the experience of God this morning? I mean, did, I, felt, I felt moved. I had to sit down. I had to sit down. I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, they, number one, y'all have a long song service. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. My church, we like sing like four songs. <laughs> so we're like done. Like, I don't know. We like singing like 20 songs here. That's awesome though. That's awesome. I was, I'm, I was like, man, I got to sit down, man. I'm just overwhelmed, man. I mean, my eyes were welling up. I mean, I was just having an experience. I was like, and, and I thought about it. I was connecting it. You know, sometimes when you're having an experience, you got you to gotta interpret it. Like, why am I feeling this way? And I, I was feeling it last night in my hotel room by myself, watching Denver beat the Suns, and I'm from, I'm from Denver, and, and, and I was like, man, I'm just feeling like this sense of like, I'm a, I'm, I felt alone. I felt alone last night, like I, I missed my family, like I don't, I'm only gone for like a couple days, but I, I was feeling, I was sensing it, like am I alone, and when we were singing that, I was like, oh, I, Lord, the enemy was attacking me, I was feeling, I was feeling like I was all by myself, when we were singing that, I was like, I, I am not alone, I am not alone. I am surrounded by these lovely people in the name of Jesus Christ. I am not alone. Amen. If you're not alone, say amen this morning. Amen. If you are alone, man, this is a place to be because uh, there's people here who can minister to you and help connect you with the one who lives in perfect community with himself and invites you to be in union with him as well. All right. I'm Javon. You heard a little bit about me from Josh. If you could hear it over that flip phone. Um, but I, I'm, I'm married to Anna. We've been married about 
17, 18 years, 18 years going on this year. We got three kids, um, 14, 12, and 10 daughters, and I'm missing them today. And I serve at the Littleton Church of Christ, been there about eight years. And I've met Josh doing the things that Church of Christ people do. Plus, Church of Christ, if you don't know about Church of Christ, like one degree of separation between everybody. I met somebody today who knew two friends of mine. I mean, it's just amazing. I love being with the people of God. Um, I want us to stand, okay? I know we've been standing already. Let's stand. I want to read God's Word. i got a word for you today. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to stand and honor the Word of God together. And I need your help reading God's Word, if you would, please. Uh, the words that are in yellow, that's your part. I need you to read aloud, church, the words that are in yellow as I read these words aloud. This is the Word of God for the people of God, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you, while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a reading of God's word for you in 1 Peter. If y'all believe in God's word, say, I believe in the word of God. Somebody say, I trust in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you so much, church family, guests, and friends. Something happened to me recently that's never happened to me before. I was flying out of Denver, which, if you don't know, is the third busiest airport in the world. And it was an early flight, which meant I set my alarm at around 2.45 a.m. And when my alarm went off, I did something that maybe many of us do. I rolled over and I hit snooze on the alarm. So I hit snooze, and then I woke up kind of in a flash. I'm like, okay, I don't have much margin for my 5 o'clock flight, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to be fine. I got up, got ready to leave, and got to the airport about an hour before my flight. And I parked at the airport this time to save time, so not one of those parking rides, like right there at 
the airport. And it was a quick trip, so I'd packed really light that day. I only had a backpack, didn't have anything to check, so I thought I can get right up to the gate quickly, no problems. But I didn't anticipate how long the security line was going to be. I mean, it was longer than I had expected. And so I, I thought, well, this is not the first time this happened to me. I kind of like to play it close when I'm traveling alone. If I'm traveling with the family, we get there at the appropriate amount of time. But it's just me. I know I can just kind of get through TSA and go on my way. But it was a little longer than I anticipated. So I, I go through. I take off my shoes. I take off my coat. I, I take all the things out of my pocket. I put my backpack on the little conveyor belt and I take out my iPad and I put it in a separate bin. So I got a couple bins and I got my backpack and I go through TSA security. And so then when I get through, I, I put everything back on. I got to put my shoes on, my coat, get my, everything, put it in my pockets and, and I go on my way. And when I, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I start to get a little anxiety. You know, have you ever been there before? You're like, I, I, I'm getting a little anxious. Uh, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to have to be that guy that's running through the airport gasping for breath, right? Hoping they don't close the gate. Hoping they don't close the door to my flight. So I, I race down, I skip the escalators, I race down the stairs, and then, you know, park my way right in front of the doors for the train. Because I'm at Seagate, and at Denver it's A, B, then Seagate. It's the last gate. And also it's like a gate that's like way far down. It's like, you know, 0 through 99, I'm like gate 60, you know. So I run down, and I get on that train. I'm thinking, I look at my watch. I'm going to make it. It's going to be good. My watch. My phone. I look at my phone. I'm going to make it. It's going to be good. But as I'm looking at my phone, a notification comes up that sometimes you get on your Apple phones, on your iPhones. It says, the name of my iPad left behind. And I'm like, oh, no. I left my iPad in the second bin. I didn't grab my iPad. So the doors open up and I quickly, I, I step out, it's gate B. I step out gate B because I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. I need to go back and get my iPad. But if I go back and get my iPad, I'm gonna miss my flight. So I make an executive decision. Y'all can scold me or whatever. Y'all can come to me and say, I don't know if I would've made that decision. But I say, I'm gonna leave my iPad and I'm gonna catch this flight. I said, I trusted, I thought, if I leave my iPad, maybe a good kind citizen and good kind TSA will have it when I come back, because it was like a quick trip like this. I was flying to Atlanta, I was going to come back the next day, I thought I may have to do it. So I get back on the train, and I go to my gate, I run all the way there, and right about the time I'm getting to my door, I hear it close. Boom. And I plead with, I plead with the airplane, airline agent, please let me in, I'm just, I got here, I, I heard it close. Can, so, sorry, sir, when it's closed, we don't open it back up. Oh, man. There was a bunch of other people that missed it, too. There's like five of us there, like, oh, my gosh, and all of them the same. I did not anticipate how long TSA line would be. So I, I booked my next flight with the ticketing agent. I'm able to get to Atlanta, and then uh, I'm like, well, I got time here at the airport because my flight's another four hours, so let me go back through the TSA, which I do, and I find them to be remarkably kind and hospitable. I mean, TSA agents, thank you so much for what you do. And they let me ride through, and I went to the locker where they have the lost and found, and guess what? There was my iPad. Uh, somebody turned it in. I thought, man, they're going to take, somebody's going to take, like, my pencil or something, like my case, my magic keyboard. No, everything was there. And I was able to 
retrieve it. It was amazing. But I'd done something I'd never done before in my life. I had missed my flight. I'd missed my flight. Recovering my iPad was a consolation, but I'd missed my flight. It was a series of errors and other factors on my part that led me to miss my flight. There was road construction on the toll road. There was airport construction. If you've, been to airport, if you've been to Denver, airport construction in Denver. I went to bed too late. I woke up too late. I didn't budget enough time for TSA. I didn't sign up for TSA pre-check, which I was wanting to do for so long, and I left my iPad at the checkpoint. I've missed my flight. Has anyone in here ever missed a flight before? Right? Y'all, oh, thank you so much. We could commiserate together. Missed my flight. Have you, ever, have you ever missed a train or missed a shuttle? Have you ever gotten too late to a birthday party and you missed the opening of the presents or you missed the cutting of the cake? You missed them making a wish and blowing out the candles? Have you ever gotten to a wedding too late and you missed the vows? Have you, have you ever gotten someplace late and you, you missed whatever was happening? The big moment, you missed it. It may have been a series of poor choices as to why you missed it. It could have been you got up late. It could have been a number of things also that you might describe as bad luck or misfortune. And the feeling of dread you get sometimes when you think you're going to miss something can add more missteps along the way. You know, like it's a series of poor choices because of the one choice that you made, or it's a series of events like Murphy's Law. It doesn't come in ones, it comes in pairs and you miss something. I know that, that my fear and panic is what made me forget my iPad at the TSA security check. If only I had done all the right steps that morning, right? If only I had done all the right steps, I wouldn't have missed my flight. Well, finding salvation, according to Peter, is not like trying to catch a flight. When Peter begins his letter with the theme of salvation, he opens his letter this way. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, and they're scattered all over the place. He says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. You see, salvation doesn't come by getting up on time, making the right choices, navigating numerous steps correctly, and passing through a security checkpoint. No, that's not how it's described. Peter describes salvation as God knowing you and choosing you. God knowing you and choosing you and the work of the Holy Spirit and making you holy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are the things God did. Like God did it all. And your response is to be obedient to what God did through Jesus Christ and what Christ has made true is made true for you. The cleansing of your sin through his blood. And what an amazing grace salvation is, that it really happens apart from us. What an amazing grace it is. Somebody this morning ought to give praises for God's amazing grace because he did it. God did it for you. And Peter teaches that the church, to the church, that salvation is something that's given to people by the mercy of God. Like Jesus taught Nicodemus, like Jesus instructed him, said it's, it's something that God gives you. God gives you out of his grace and God withholds from his mercy. He does. He instructs Nicodemus that he must be born again. He says that each of us must experience a new birth from above, a new birth by the Spirit. That the Spirit gives us new birth, which means we get a, a new life. 
we get a resurrected life because Jesus is alive. That he rose from the dead and he ascended to be with the Father, representing a forever relationship and a perfect union with the triune God. It is what Jesus told Mary at the empty tomb. I know that you recently went through the Gospel of John. And I believe Josh preached on Mary's account of experiencing the resurrection on on Easter Sunday. And one of the interesting things that Jesus tells Mary to go and tell the others, he doesn't say the tomb is empty. Go tell them that the tomb is empty. In John's gospel, Jesus tells Mary, go tell them that I'm ascending. I'm going to be with the Father. That that's the gospel message that Jesus wanted Mary to deliver to the disciples. I'm going to be with the Father. I am ascending. Tell them I'm ascending. That because of the resurrection and ascension, we have this forever relationship with him. The ascension means that we rise. The ascension means that we live. The ascension means that we get to be in the seated places with royalty, with, with God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The ascension means we get to eat and feast at the table. The ascension means that our relationship isn't cut off when we breathe our last breath. The ascension means that we get to be with God forever. That's the truth of the gospel. He says, go tell people that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the, gospel, of the Father. That's the gospel. Go tell them. Jesus has ascended. And so that relationship isn't just for Mary and for the disciples and for us whenever we breathe our last breath. That relationship is like, it's true today for you. It's, it's, it's God today. It's his, it's his good news for you today. That today, not tomorrow, today. Today, you get to experience that ascension, that resurrection, that, that resurrected life with God. Because I believe Peter's setting all this up to tell the people this. He's like, it's way important. It's far more important that you believe that the salvation for your life affects you today because he wants people to live that resurrected life today. He wants us to live in relationship with God today. That the resurrected life is how we experience salvation today. That we don't have to wait until we die to have the resurrected life. Like heaven can come down to earth today for us. So what is the resurrection life? What's the resurrected life? Well, the resurrected life is the ethical, spirit-empowered life that Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere. Because God has given us a blessing, now we have to live from that blessing. Jesus preached to the people. He said, don't live for men's praises, but for the reward of God. Bring heaven down to earth by doing the Father's will with your humility and your meekness and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you mourn over your sin and you repent whenever you sense that godly sorrow that you show mercy to others and you become a peacemaker and you live boldly even under the threat of being harmed for your faith Jesus teaches he, he says be salt you are salt actually you are salt and light and we're to love our enemies and pray for those who would seek to harm us and we follow Jesus closely being a neighbor and not worrying about who is my neighbor, as Jesus told in the story of the Good Samaritan. And we obey the greatest command to love God and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's how Peter finishes out this letter. If you continue, I encourage you to continue reading this letter that he writes to the scattered Christians because he, he tells them, be alert, be self-controlled, be holy, practice holiness away from your home. Practice holiness away from your home. 
when you're surrounded by pluralistic, godless people who might harm you for your faith. Practice holiness. And, and the way that they are to be holy and practice holiness is to lay aside deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and all kinds of speech, unkind speech. And he says they must crave something, crave the pure spiritual life-giving milk that the Word of God gives them to grow into a full experience of their salvation. This is what you must do, and it comes from a rooted and centered place. It comes from a rooted and centered place. Because Peter knows that these people are going to break if they don't have something solid to stand on. The people are going to get weary, and their faith may not hold up if they don't put into practice what's already been given to them. Peter knows that people need to be living for the living Christ by first dying to all of their selfish ways. He knows that people have to hold on to something more than just their own abilities. So Peter, I think, remembers that in order to live for Christ, he must first die. He may remember to take up his cross as Christ had instructed him and follow. But what's interesting is Peter's story is so remarkable because these are all the things that Peter tried to prevent. And Peter tried to prevent. Like we each must take up our cross and follow Jesus, deny our lives, lose our lives, to find our lives. But Peter once tried to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. But now he lives in the power of the cross's ability to draw all men to Jesus. Peter tried to kill for Jesus. But that didn't work. And he was so embarrassed by Jesus' arrest that he denied Jesus over and over and over again. But now he embraces the cross and Christ's death. You know why? Because he has experienced Christ's resurrection. He has been a witness of the empty tomb and the ascension like Jesus is his new life because he's experienced his new birth. And we can experience that living hope through the living Christ. Like we have something that propels us, pulls us, draws us, through the thick hurt and pain and suffering of this life. Like we have something that allows us to move and be shaped by the image of Jesus Christ that's more compelling, that's stronger than any way that our country or our ideologies can shape us. That any, any, more than our money and our wealth and all the things that we might put our hope in, our property, our 401k, all those things, our education. Like, like Jesus is more compelling. Jesus can hold us on and can can shape us and form us into his likeness uh, way better than anything in this world could. Like, we, we don't want any of that. We, we cast that aside. We die to ourselves. We take up the cross. We follow Jesus. That's who we are. Because he's offered us something incredible that the world cannot give us, that we're searching for all of our lives and we can't find it and grasp it. But he gives us salvation, something that can never be taken away from us. This is why we follow Jesus. This is why we do holiness, practice righteousness. This is why we, we feed the hungry. This is why we take up the 901 offering. It's all those things, like, because of Jesus, because of what he's done. Like, that's the foundation. Everything centers on Jesus. We're nothing without him. We're absolutely nothing without him. We have no life without him. We have no nothing without him. Jesus is everything. Would you give everything to him? He's everything for you. So Peter's experienced all this. And what he's telling this group of people is, these people scattered, is that, that hope is secure because life is given by the Spirit and that forever life with God is also protected by that same Spirit. Life is given and it's also protected.
In other words, with Jesus, you won't miss your flight. You won't miss your flight. I'm going to say, oh, Jovan, I mean, I gave my life to Jesus. I was baptized in his name. I, like, I, I commit myself to him, but oh my gosh, I still have these vices. I, there's some things I still sin. I, I'm afraid that right, right before I die, I'm going to say a cuss word, and then I'm going to have to repent like right before I die. And then Jesus, is, I don't know if he's going to save me or not. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't know. There's a secret that I have. You know, I, I told everybody I was going to give the 901 offering. I actually didn't give to it. Man, that's, uh, you know, somebody's going to find out. And I don't know that I may not. I may not have the resurrected life. Like, I may not have eternal life with Jesus because of that thing. Like, I think we treat salvation like it's like this, like, kind of, ooh, like, you know. It's like, like this rickety bridge, and the planks are falling out, and, you know, I'm trying to cr- go across it. Oh, I said a swear word, or, oh, I, I withheld from this thing, or I got this problem in my life, and, and oh, I lost myself. Like, we're in and out of salvation. Like, I'm in salvation, I'm out of salvation. You know, like, we, we sometimes live our lives that way. And if I just perform good enough, oh, my gosh, if I perform good enough, Man, if I could be a good performer, if I could do the things right and people see it, and man, if I'm pleased with my performance, then God must be pleased with me. If I'm pleased with my performance, God's pleased with me. If people see me doing good, then I must be good. Like, that's how we treat our salvation. Come on, y'all looking at me. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm saying, right? All right, don't leave me hanging up here. This isn't just my experience. I'm pretty sure this is everybody, somebody's experience in here. Maybe not everybody's, but somebody's, right? Like, that's how we treat it. But I just want to tell you, like, salvation, God did it. And we put our trust in it. God did it. God did it for us. So you won't miss your flight because of that sin. You won't miss your flight. You won't miss your flight. It's an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. It's protected by the power of God. God's grace is that he protects this precious forever relationship that he gives to you through Christ. It's protected with God. Somebody in here may need to repent today, but you repent knowing it's because of God's love and his mercy for you. You turn away from, repent means I turn away from my sins and I turn to God. You probably need to do that today. But know it's in the security of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And then you won't miss your flight. You won't miss your flight because of your circumstances. Some of us in here haven't given a a poor diagnosis. Maybe we have some sickness or we've been displaced. We're not in our hometown. We've experienced some suffering and we're wondering, does God love me? Is God with me? Maybe you've even experienced your own physical harm. But Peter teaches that Christians scattered abroad, that Jesus and his resurrection is the foundation for salvation, and the foundation for your salvation is for the life of the church. You won't miss your flight. It doesn't matter what gets in your way. It doesn't matter what is in your way. Don't consider it to be a roadblock. Just think it be an obstacle that you have to get over or get around. All right? Like, God is there. He's immovable. He hasn't moved. He beckons you. He calls for you. You won't miss your flight. He's there for you. See, God's salvation is your foundation for the resurrected life. You you live from a place of strength and security in God. It's like the song we sang about the victory that's found in Jesus. We live from that place. Now, our circumstances, our environment, and the things that are happening around it doesn't make us feel like we're safe and secure. I understand that. We may feel insecure today. You may be doubtful today. But heed the words of Peter today. Know what God has done for you and the incredible gift he's given you. That you have safety and security with him. And from that, from that, you don't have to cut corners. You don't have to tell lies. You don't have to live the way the world does. Because the resurrected life is this ethical, spirit-empowered life given to us by the grace and mercy of God 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And saved people do the will of God out of the security of their salvation, even in your imperfection, no matter the circumstances around you. And when you trust in that, when you do that, Jesus says you're, you're putting his words into practice and you're building up this great spiritual house that whenever the storms come and the floods rise and the winds press in and they beat against that house, it stands because you're putting it into practice. Because whenever you obey God, what you're doing is confirming what God has already done in your life and you're strengthening that foundation even more when you obey him from that centered place of salvation. And we can rejoice when trials come. This is the only way, like, in the Bible, you know, you always see the people like, they're like, ah, oh, we're so happy. <laughs> like, like, we got uh, persecuted in the name of Jesus. You know what I mean? You ever see that in Acts or other places? There, and, and this is how Paul can write about rejoice in your trials and your suffering. How can they do that? Because of that centered, rooted place that comes from our foundation being in the salvation of Jesus Christ. We can persevere any trials by trusting in God. And for them... The trials and the suffering validates their faith. That's how they reframe everything. They reframe and reinterpret everything by saying, well, we're suffering, it must be that we bring faithful in God. That's how much they trusted in the salvation of Jesus Christ. They, for many of us, we might think, oh, these things that are coming must mean that God is angry and I'm not in favor with him. That is not how the disciples viewed things. It's not how Peter viewed things. You're going to have to trust the grace of God. You're going to have to trust you're going to have to trust. I had hoped my iPad would be there when I left, but there was no confirmation. I just had to trust that it would be there. We don't know of Christ's return, but when he comes, our faith most precious will be refined by fire, Peter says, and his revelation will cause even more praise and glory and honor when we trust. I encourage you to hold on to him. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to him. You may not have touched him. Like, like how Thomas was, that was offered to Thomas whenever he doubted and wanted to experience Jesus. said, reach out and touch. We, we may not have seen Jesus as Thomas saw him or as others when they doubted the resurrection. You, you haven't seen him. Um, we may not have touched him like the woman in the story that was all she hoped for is if she could touch the hem of the garment of Jesus her bleeding disease would be healed and so she pressed herself through the crowd touched Jesus and was healed we may not have touched him in that way and most of us who are followers of Jesus may not have actually seen him with our eyes but we believe in him and we love him amen we may not have actually touched him we may not have actually seen him but we believe in him we trust him much like Peter writes to the disciples who are scattered it's like how I experienced all of my dear wife's pregnancies. Um, if you know, I shared with you, I have three little girls, and it's the, it's the closest thing that I can imagine of what it's like to being in love with someone that you haven't seen. Like, I, I didn't know I would be a good father. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know what kind of person I would be with my, with my daughters. I mean, I had an idea, right? But but I knew that I would love them. I knew that I would love them. I knew that whenever they entered into this world that, that I would love them. And that's how I imagine that we all are in our relationship with Jesus. Maybe we've not reached out and touched him or we haven't seen him with our own eyes, but we love him. 
Just as Peter encourages these people scattered. You haven't seen them, you haven't touched them, but, but you love them. And you can be filled with the same feelings. And maybe you haven't seen a child being born or have your own children. Um, you can believe, though, that even though you haven't seen Jesus or touched him, you can believe in him and love him. And in your new birth, you believe in him and you're filled with this inexpressible joy, the word of God says. An overwhelming joy too strong to describe by words. Like, like even though you've not seen him and you've not touched him, you can have this inexpressible joy in your life. Like, it can happen for you. Have you, have you ever felt the affections of the Lord in such a way it brings tears to your eyes or, or it causes you to shout out or you lift up holy hands or you fall to your knees? I mean, God says that even though you haven't seen him or touched him, that is an incredible presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's faith in your life. Would you continue to move in that direction of faith? Like even though you haven't seen him and touched him, you can believe in him today. I'm reminded of this verse in Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In all trials, in all circumstances, in all things, may you trust in him. In all trials, in all circumstances, may you trust in him. Do you believe that even though you haven't seen him, and even though you haven't touched him, that you love him? Do you love him? Yeah? Even though you haven't seen him, even though you haven't touched him, you love him. Uh, do you believe that even though you haven't seen him and even though you haven't touched him, that, that he's, he's happy with you? Do you believe that? Like, he, like, that he loves you. Do you believe that? Like, you love him, do you believe that he loves you? Even though you haven't seen him, even though you haven't touched him, do you, do you, do you have this joy in your life where you're saying, Oh, God is my everything. God is my all in all. I love him so much. He's, he's everything to me. Like, God is mine. Do you believe that? Well, this morning, we're going to enter into communion together. And I want us to consider ourselves like those scattered believers. The great thing about being a part of a local church family is this. We aren't with each other, right? And then we are, right? Like, we're here gathered today, but... Um, once we call a break to all this and we leave and everybody shakes hands and hugs and gives, gives everyone love today, we all scatter to our own homes, our own neighborhoods, our own workplaces. We all leave. And the great thing about this environment is we get to come back. We get to come back and encourage one another. We get something that maybe some of these scattered people didn't have, like a strong community where they could gather together. And so when we take communion today, I want you to hold in your heart that even though you may not have touched him physically or seen him, the bread and the juice, they represent the body and blood of Jesus. That we get to hold something tangible that reminds us of his presence today. And that the body and the blood of Jesus reminds us of all that God has done for us that God did it. It's his salvation. And we take it together. And whenever we take it, let us recognize all around us that we're not in this alone. That we all stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ together. That we have a community of believers. That God is protecting all of us together. Embodied in this church, we find the triune God. We find Jesus. And we're reminded of his ascension.
And we take that together today. Uh, we, we will have um, some shepherds up front here, uh, shepherds that you can pray with. There'll be some prayer warriors. I don't know how you call them, prayer warriors, prayer teams around the worship center for you if you want to receive prayers. There'll be a lot happening. You can come and receive the communion. Um, you can receive prayers. Um, we'll, we'll all stand together as we do this. Yeah. And if it's your first time here, just follow the people that are around you who know what's up. And, uh, and we can come down, and there are multiple stations where we can take communion together. Let's pray. Holy Father, we love you. We thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that comes through the cross, the empty tomb, the ascension. We're grateful for him. And Lord, however we need to respond today, receive prayers, to go in fellowship with someone, to extend mercy to them or grace to them or receive it from someone. Father, we would be open to how you're working in this place today. Father, we love you so much. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. And all together we say, amen.